Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're going to be talking a little about bacterial diseases in corn. This seems like it's getting to be a little bit more of a problem, so we want to cover some of these diseases that have been popping up lately, including a relatively new one. If you've got any questions for us about that or anything else going on in your farm, or if you have anything that you'd like to talk about that's happening right now, just give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, or Brian Hefty. So my brother Darren is out doing some farmer meetings again today, so I'm in the studio by myself. Darren may be joining us late in the show today, though. But our main topic here is bacterial diseases, and so I just had a couple things there, and then we'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag here right away. But with bacterial diseases, I guess the biggest thing I would say is we don't have this fantastic method of post-emerge control like we do with fungal diseases. So if we have most fungal diseases, you can go out and spray a fungicide. And granted, you have to spray before the disease takes over your field or anything if you want good results. But still, the fungicides are pretty darn effective and very, very widely used. There are a few bactericides, and we'll talk about those a little bit today, but there's just nothing where we go oh, you have this bacterial disease, or you're going to have this bacterial disease, just spray this bacteria aside and everything will be okay. You'll maintain 100% of yield. So a lot of the time, what we're looking at is, number one, making sure you've got varieties that are tolerant to whatever bacterial diseases you're concerned about. And number two, trying to keep your plant as stress-free as possible. Where a lot of bacterial diseases enter in is after a wind event, a hail event. Um, Let's say that we have inferior for an inferior fertility program let's say we have more weeds insects diseases whatever it is something that adds stress to that plant now it can't tolerate the the bacteria when they attack and all of a sudden you end up with disease that's running rampant in your crop and you lose yield and we don't want any of that so anyway we'll be talking about bacterial diseases throughout the show today but right now let's get to the ag phd mailbag All right. Our first question comes from Brandon. He says, hey, guys, I'm looking at an alternative source of fertilizer with chicken litter. I've never used it before. The sales guy I talked to said it's about $150 an acre with the spread. If I would put down six tons per acre and he told me the average fertilizer, uh, the amount, it's uh, like a 42, 40, 18 per ton and that would and they would want to spread this over frozen ground in the winter now i'm located in southern minnesota where i've got heavy ground cec is about 25 doesn't this seem like a pretty good deal compared to commercial fertilizer uh this six tons will give me 240 pounds of p and 108 pounds of k and i'm not even counting in the nitrogen since it won't be worked in until april or may what are your thoughts and also if i could put this in front of my soybean ground as well my best fields, my on my best fields, my yield goals are 250 bushel corn and 85 bushel beans. Thanks for the help. Oh, and one other thing he added here, there are no wood chips in this chicken litter and the salt is 3.6 pounds per ton. All right, first of all, on that salt comment, are you sure it isn't 3.6 pounds of sodium per ton? I would assume there's a lot more salt in it, so I might check that out 
But I'm glad to hear that there are no wood chips in there because the wood chips can really tie up the nitrogen. We have found that to be very detrimental if there are a lot of wood chips. I mean, you can overcome it, but you just have to put on crazy amounts of nitrogen to start breaking down the wood chips. Anyway, uh, yes, Brandon, a lot of people use chicken litter. We really like it. We've used it before. It, it It's great. The concern I would have is just this talk about spreading it on frozen ground this winter. That, that just really worries me. Now, granted, um, if it's frozen and we're talking early March, that to me is a whole different deal because a lot of times what happens in our region of the country is we've got days in March where the ground is frozen in the morning so you can get across it and spread, but then it's thawing in the afternoon so everything everything can start attaching itself to soil. But yeah, that's that's really my only big concern here. And yes, it is a pretty good deal in a lot of cases compared to commercial fertilizer, but let's keep in mind some of the disadvantages here. A lot of times it does have more salt, and I know you said 3.6 pounds, but I just believe it's probably higher. Uh, so that's one of the things. The other thing is it's not consistent. So you told me what the fertilizer analysis is, 42, 40, 18 per ton, but it will vary quite a bit a lot of times. So I'm not saying that's a real problem, but you just have to account for that and you want to put on a little bit extra. So a lot of times we're on a build program with this just to make sure that in the areas where we're not truly building, we still have enough fertilizer. Uh, Beyond that, I, I guess I'd just say if you can get a hold of a bunch, then absolutely do it. But like almost anything, when it's your first time ever, I wouldn't be doing the whole farm. So start with some. Just see what you find for advantages, disadvantages. See how it affects your yield, how it affects your soil, everything else, how it works on a small scale, and then start ramping it up in the future. But yeah, there are a lot of people that use chicken litter, and just about everybody I talk to really likes it. All right, next question comes from Brian. He says, is corn silage more valuable than grain? Corn silage is just the stalk and the grain, and the stalk is just fiber mainly, so it must not remove many more nutrients than the grain only. Uh, yes, Brian, it doesn't typically remove lots more nutrients, but it definitely removes some. Now, if you look at, let's say, the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App, what that's telling you is how much how many nutrients it takes to produce the stover. And don't ever forget that roughly with about all crops, half the stover is below the ground with the root system. So the other thing is some of the nutrients like, let's say, potassium late in the season can already start to flush out of the plant if you're getting a bunch of rain. So some can already be on the ground and out of the plant. So what I'm saying here is to find out for sure what you have for nutrients in that corn silage, you just have to run some tests and see. But Yes, um, corn silage is a little more valuable than grain, but grain is the big component in there that is worth so much in that corn silage. All right, stay tuned. We're going to talk a little bacterial diseases in corn right after this. If we only had 20 words to talk about AgBiome, we would say we are agricultural innovators focused on unlocking the power of the microbial world to deliver unique, effective crop protection solutions. If we only had five words, we'd say learn more at agbiome.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. 
Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get maximum spray drift control with Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Max Nozzles, the ideal nozzle for dicamba and 240D applications, providing up to 95% drift reduction. Ensure you get the best coverage on hard-to-hit targets. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio, just talking about bacterial diseases in corn today. And first on the show, we got Kevin Matthews with us. He's with the Extreme Ag Group, and he's down in the state of North Carolina. Kevin, how's it going today? Uh, pretty good. How about you guys? Excellent. So we're talking bacterial diseases in corn. Do you have a lot of issue with this on your farm? Uh, we we have a lot of diseases. Um you know, some bacteria is what we look at, but, uh, you know, the northern leaf blight and um, gray leaf spot uh, and southern, anything you can think of, I think we get down here. You, uh, you wonder if it's a virus or if it's a bacteria sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. So, yeah, but more of the fungal diseases is, that's really your big problem. But you guys have a lot of yep. uh, weather events down there, I'll call it, whether it's rain or a lot of wind or whatever. I mean, when your crop gets tattered up, are you seeing more disease in that case? Yes, you, you certainly will, uh, which it, it varies, you know, Sometimes, uh, you know, the insect feeding will cause cause other diseases to come into the ears and uh, and damage grain as well. So, you know, we've been so wet uh, in the mornings with heavy fogs. It's usually 10 o'clock before the dew is off. And so you're talking, you know, 14 hours of leaf wetness yeah. and plant wetness uh, to the point you walk through it, you wish you had waders on in the mornings so mm -hmm. um yes we absolutely brian it's just anything you can think of out there we see some years you know your dry years when that vegetation side going into reproduction and that plant stressed out as what we have all up and down the you know basically from oklahoma to the atlantic ocean uh in the southern u.s there's terrible stress has been put on the corn and we're just blessed to be we had more rainfall, we got a healthier crop, but when you get dry weather stress, then the plant's so much more susceptible to your different other diseases to allow them to attack that plant. 
All right, so you got a challenge. Yeah, so you got a challenging environment there. What's it like trying to pick corn varieties? Do you do you have the hybrids you need, or are you still struggling to find the right corn hybrids that will work in your geography with all that disease pressure? This variety is very very important. I think we've got about thirty five. No, actually, we're about fifty varieties that we're testing for this year. Uh, we test every year about that much uh, from different seed companies. Every seed company has got a few varieties that really stand out strong, and and you've got to be careful, Brian. Sometimes those varieties that stand out so strong for one or two years, they'll get hit in a different angle and they'll fall. <laughs> so we never want to put more than about twenty five percent of our crop in one variety. I feel the same way. We we go an even lower percentage most of the time on our farm. Yeah, I just I want to plant new varieties, but we don't have a lot of history. And even if we have some history, it's still not enough. I just don't feel comfortable. Our our weather can get extreme sometimes. So, uh, Kevin, uh, anything else you want to leave us with in terms of bacterial diseases and and just management on your farm? Well, you know, we're most everybody's in the fourth quarter, or they their corn's done. They're they're at the tail end. Yep. Get out in those fields, you know, as quickly as you can. If if a field you think is drying down much quicker than other fields, don't assume that it's just going to be an early harvest or you're growing the green units or sooner. Get out there and walk those fields and see if there's some lesions on those plants, is something on those ears. Make sure that is a, it is a true maturity. Uh, if that plant's doing proper, that ear's going to dry down first, and that plant's going to stay green. Yeah. So when you see the tops die out in those plants, you need to get out in that field and find out what the problem is. If it's drought, you know it's drought. But get out and find out and try to eliminate that issue for next year because it's too late now. Yep, that's right. We've been talking with Kevin Matthews. Again, he's a farmer down in North Carolina and with the Extreme Ag Group. Kevin, thanks a lot for the time today. Appreciate it. Man, we appreciate all you guys do. You bet. Thanks a lot. Let's go next out to the state of Michigan. we got Marty Chilvers on with us. He's with Michigan State University as a plant pathologist. Marty, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? Excellent. All right, so we're talking bacterial Good. diseases in corn. Are you seeing more of this issue in Michigan? Um, we're not this particular year. Um, we have certainly kept a, an eye out for things. Um, it was about probably six, seven years ago now, we were very concerned about potential for Goss's wilt. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so we, we got to the point where actually um, we uh, rented a light aircraft for scouting, you know, because we're just trying to figure out where it is in Michigan potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and that worked. So we, we found it, but we found it just across the border in Indiana. Um, and <laughs> yep. yeah, right. <laughs> um, so there was, it was quite amazing. And, and the reason why I thought to do that is a, a colleague down in Florida had, uh, a, a, um, crop duster had actually seen, you know, Goss's wilt from yep. the, the cockpit and stuff. Yep. Like, oh, that's a good idea. So we'll use that as a scouting tool. And, and it sure enough worked and we just didn't ever confirm any in Michigan, but, uh, yeah, with our seed production, it's definitely something that we wanted to keep on top of and make sure it wasn't an issue for us. Okay, for Goss's wilt, the challenge with it is we don't have any great bactericides unless the, unless there's something you know of. So it's pretty much just hybrid tolerance or hybrid resistance, right? Yep, that's pretty much it. Uh, yeah, there's really not any great products. 
um, to manage bacteria. Um, you know, you can potentially think about copper. Um, I was just looking at um, dry beans today, and we had some some bacterial issues there, and and we're looking at copper a bit more importantly. Just like in corn, changing hybrids, right? Making sure we've got the best genetics um, for resistance. It sounds like talking to my colleagues, there's quite a bit of Gosses will or has been over the last few years in North Dakota. Yep. And, and maybe that's just because of, um, you know, smaller acreage up there. It's, it's a little bit harder to, to change genetics out. Uh, my guess is that's part of it. Um, but yeah, thankfully, it doesn't sound like it's been a massive issue um, across most areas. Um, it, it, you know, again, it flared about six years ago. And so that's why we got yep. on it as well. But it's it's petered out, which is a good thing. Well, one of the things that has been has made this a little bit challenging is the corn market's been really good. When I see a good corn price mm-hmm. too, just like a lot of people, I go, you know what? I can raise some continuous corn. So we had more <laughs> continuous corn on our farm this year than we've had in a long time. And so I was worried about it. We tried to pick hybrids that were good for it. And I don't think we have a lot of gosses wilt out there. But mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's one of the biggest watchouts, isn't it? Where Where you've got continuous corn. Yeah, I mean, on the bacterial side, for sure, yeah. especially in that geography, uh, probably South Dakota, too, gets a bit. I know Minnesota in the past has as well, so yep. definitely, um, yep, that'd be the big thing I would be looking for. Um, there is a, a slightly newer disease, or perhaps we've just been better at identifying it, and that's bacterial leaf streak. Yep. Um, so another, yeah, another bacterial uh, pathogen, Xanthomonas vasicola, um, not that that really matters, but... So, again, that's one we actually haven't confirmed here in Michigan yet. I have no doubt it's probably here. Uh, I know my colleague in Nebraska has seen that out and about. Um, yes. And I think some years it is doing some damage, right? Yes. Um, what I'm looking for in terms of diagnostics there is something like gray leaf spot. But gray leaf spot really remains very tightly within the veins um, of the corn leaf this bacterial leaf streak will bleed across the veins. So if you've got that sort of symptomology uh, and you don't think it's a uh, grey leaf um, streak, get that in um, to a clinic um, to get that diagnosed. It, again, it's very important to know what you're dealing with. I agree with your last caller. That's, that's essential. So get out and scout. And if you're not sure what it is, um, get that off to someone that can help diagnose that for you. Yep, absolutely. Great advice. We've been talking with Marty Chilvers. He is with Michigan State University. Marty, thanks as always for the time. That was great stuff. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Yeah, he was mentioning the xanthomonas uh, there, the bacterial leaf streak, and we have seen that down in Nebraska. There's been a little bit that's come into South Dakota, so it's certainly not as widespread as the Gosses wilt at this point, but both of these diseases you just have to really look at hybrid selection and it sometimes becomes problematic if you try to do the right things in the fall and order the seed that you think is great well then all of a sudden in the spring your seed dealer goes oh we don't have that variety just make sure you stay on it so you get something that's good for these bacterial diseases we'll talk a little bit more about this topic right after this on ag phd radio do you have crop failures due to flooding drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. 
Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther power in your tank. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Early does it. Strong early season defenses against seedling insects and soil diseases are key to a successful season. The leader in Inferro Solutions, FMC, helps protect your fields from the start with a growing portfolio of Inferro innovations. You can't predict the future, but you can plant for it. Visit your FMC retailer or inferro.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spend spring on the tractor and fall on the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Thanks for listening to us here on Ag PhD Radio. We've been talking about bacterial diseases in corn. And next on the show from South Dakota State University, plant pathologist Connie Strunk. Connie, how are things going today up in Brookings? Well, pretty good. I'm actually down in Sioux Falls. All right. So are you seeing many bacterial diseases out there in corn as you've been looking in fields around South Dakota? Yeah, the bacterial disease that we're seeing quite a bit of is gosses out in the fields here in the southeastern part of the state. Would you say it looks worse this year than a normal year because of drought stress or some other reason, or is it just uh, it's about like what you've seen the last few years? It's looking a little bit worse, but harder to identify for folks because of the drought. Oh, yeah. Um, there are some fields that have both the drought and gosses wilt occurring, so it's made it a little bit tougher to distinguish, you know, which came first. Since we're talking about the drought also, when you have been looking at these fields, I've heard some pretty bad reports that 
basically yields are going to be pretty rough in some of these areas. So if somebody's getting hit with both Goss's wilt and drought and they're having a tough time figuring out which is which, can I assume here that it's going to be a massive yield hit? I would say yes. If they're having you know trouble distinguishing between the two and if fields are looking pretty uniform, you know, generally disease isn't 100% out in the field. So if you're, your chances are you're seeing both out there, both the drought and the gases wilt, and yields in certain parts of the state are, are going to be tough. Okay, so we've been talking on the show already about Goss's wilt and just that hybrid selection is the real key. Have you seen anything else that farmers have done where it lessens either the amount of Goss's wilt they've gotten or it lessens the impact of the Goss's wilt on the corn? Well, a big thing is weed control because this bacteria can survive on several other weeds as hosts, and some of those weeds are grain sorghum, green foxtail, barnyard grass, shatter cane, large crabgrass, annual ryegrass, and Johnson grass. So, you know, weed control is pretty crucial in helping to eliminate or reduce the amount of gases wilt that's out there. Yep. Uh, and we've talked also about crop rotation. That's been a really big thing. Anything else that you've seen that's that's helped for farmers so they could lessen this gosses wilt issue a little bit? If they're in the if they have the ability to do tillage, tillage will help bury those corn residues. So if they did have gosses wilt that helps bury them, helps to break down those residues a little bit faster. So we're not in position for spreading that bacteria since this bacteria does reside on corn residues. Yeah, I find it interesting. I mean, in agriculture, just like in any other business, we try to solve one problem. So we want to reduce erosion and build up soil. So we go to no-till. And then when we go to no-till, we have different weeds and we have more with some of these diseases and insects. So anyway, there, Mother Nature always has a way of staying ahead of us, it seems like. Um, so we were also talking a little about bacterial leaf streak, that that is down in Nebraska. Have you been seeing any bacterial leaf streak in corn here? here in our state of South Dakota? I have not seen it yet this year. Last year we did see it, so it has been here in the state. It is one that, you know, if in doubt, really get it, like a sample sent in or get it diagnosed to make sure since it, to make sure what it is since it does look a lot like gray leaf spot. Yep. But I've not seen it yet this year. I mean, I would speculate that we're going to start to see it just with the amount of you know, wind, different little, you know, rain or hail. And then with, with the gosses, it didn't come as a surprise, <clears throat> excuse me, with like the Jerosha that we had earlier this year mm-hmm. here in South Dakota, just with the magnitude of that wind moved things around. Yeah. And so I speculate it's out there. So with bacterial leaf streak, are you seeing So let me step back. With Goss's wilt, we've been talking to plant breeders for 20 years now, and they have done a pretty good job, in my opinion, finding some hybrids that are pretty tolerant to Goss's wilt. Are we seeing that same kind of advancement with bacterial leaf streak that the breeders are able to pick it out? Is there enough bacterial leaf streak out there, I guess is my question, so they can even be testing for it? Not quite yet. I mean, it's relatively new, hasn't been such a 
huge guild loss that has caused the, them to take a closer look at it. Sure. You know, hopeful that we'll start to see some resistance yep. within the genetics come out. But as of right now, there isn't any information available on that. Sure. So you mentioned yield, and I guess that's my last question for you, because a lot of farmers go, well, do I even really care about this? Is it something that I should even worry about? So if you see gosses wilt in the field, or you see bacterial leaf streak in a field, I mean, what kind of yield losses have you seen in the past? You know, it depends on when that infection moved in and kind of what those plants are looking like. Yep. You know, about a 30% yield loss is fairly standard, but with Goss's wilt, you know, it is a two-part disease. It's the blight on the leaves, and it can cause the wilting, so the total plant can succumb to the disease, so we can have up to, you know, 100% yield loss on a plant. Sure. You know, we haven't seen 100% yield loss in a field by any means, Yeah. but I'd say the 30% yield loss is pretty standard from these diseases. Well... Um, 30% is pretty bad when a lot of farmers are looking at, hey, if you had even a halfway decent crop this year, and, and granted, I understand some people had drought or a lot of issues out there, but as we go east here into Minnesota, down into Iowa, Illinois, a lot of people are talking about $1,000 per acre plus on gross income. Well, 30%, that's $300 an acre. So variety selection can get to be a really important thing. And the other things you mentioned, whether it's tillage, weed control, crop rotation, all important. We've been talking with Connie Strunk. She's a plant pathologist at South Dakota State University. Connie, thanks for the time today. This was really good stuff. Thank you. You bet. All right, so I guess the last thing I'll leave you with here on this bacterial disease thing, number one, even though, yes, the 30% yield loss thing is possible, these bacterial diseases are not everywhere. But if you are concerned at all about Goss's wilt or bacterial leaf streak or any other bacterial disease, I just do what you can to learn more about it, learn where it's showing up, and certainly look at crop rotation, tillage, weed control. I mean, just do everything you can to make that crop as healthy as possible. We talk often about drainage and and fertility being the top two things. But then beyond that, it's just hybrid selection. And if your seed dealer is not confident in, oh, this is a good one for grass's wilt, or this one is not, I just keep talking to more people and see what else you can find out. Because I've had Goss's wilt on our farm before, and it hasn't been good. I don't think we lost 30% on yield, but we still lost some. And I said, oh, okay, we, we got to start watching this thing a little bit more closely. Personally, in my opinion, I think like up in North Dakota, why we've seen a little more issue maybe the last couple of years is we had so much Goss's wilt in Nebraska and South Dakota that a lot of people learned how to pick the right varieties and there just hadn't been as much of that going on not as much of the research and just flat out not as much of the disease up up north like in North Dakota so if you are in any of these areas where these diseases have been showing up we just encourage you talk to your seed dealer and then learn more about the diseases and do whatever you can to alleviate the issue all right um Right after this break, we're going to get back into the Ag PhD mailbag. And if you've got a question for us, you can certainly give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. Again, that's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. So here on the show, um, we are, are talking about these agronomic issues every day. And I, I guess... 
the number one thing, and it did get said earlier by Kevin Matthews, is just please go look in your fields because a lot of times, especially as we get relatively late in the season, and now I know we've been guilty of this on our farm, we think, oh, we're to, we're to the end. There's nothing else I can do, nothing else that you know I'm going to treat for or anything like that. But you want to get out there and find out what's going on before the combine rolls. Like for our farm, if we're going to harvest corn for grain, it's probably going to be a month and a half yet before we do that. So there's lots of time to take a look at some of these things, see what's going on, see if any fields need to be harvested earlier rather than others. All right, we'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag next. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. When it comes to your tillage equipment, stop compromising and start doing more in one pass. New from McFarland Ag, the Insight 5200 with an independent blade configuration lets you get more done in less time. Ideal for rocky or sticky soil, the 5200 has two sets of independently mounted blades adjustable up to 12 degrees, a unique chopping reel, and five different finishing attachments, giving you the perfect seedbed. Learn more about the Insight 5200 by visiting McFarlandAg.com today. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zealpro Miticide from Valent USA. With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zealpro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions.
You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. We've been talking about bacterial diseases in corn, but we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag here in just a minute. Uh, if you've got a question for us, you can call in 844-44-AG-PHD if you would like to. You can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com. All right, so we got Dennis calling in from down in Nebraska. Dennis, I hear you had a question on stem borer. Yes, uh, we're extremely down, dry down here and all that. And my question is, are they a lot more prevalent in extreme dry conditions than beans? Because it just hit this country here the last uh, two, three days. You know, the beans, are, they was drying down too fast, I thought, so I really wouldn't start looking at it. They're just full of stem board. All right. I just, it was about this time last year, I was down in South uh, let's see, it'd be South Central Nebraska. And I had a number of farmers talking to me about stem borer there. I mean, it, it, it's been a challenge for a while in Nebraska. Yeah, I, in terms of when it's going to show up exactly and is it worse in drought, I don't know that I can necessarily say that. Uh, but I, I, any problem that you have is, number one, amplified because of the drought. And number two, you have to think about when there are drought conditions, then your crop unfortunately, becomes the number one target as opposed to grasses and some other plant species that might be growing out in the countryside. So I could certainly see how there would be more of them out there. And, you know, it's really tough when you get any of these bugs that can bore into a plant. I don't care if it's corn borer uh, or like dectostem borer that we're talking about here. I, I mean, any bore, boring plant or boring insect is, is it's just, it's tough. And so a lot of times, well, even University of Nebraska, I'm, I'm literally on their website right now and they'll, they say right here, uh, hey, the adult stem borers are susceptible to insecticides, but because they're found in the plants for an extended period of time, uh, controlling them would be expensive and is not recommended. And it's no, like, oh, it's frustrating. I, the reason I asked on extreme dry weather or dry weather yep. is I've got an irrigation field and they're not in it. And that's the reason I'm asking, you know. Interesting. It, uh, I, I, I don't have any problem where uh, I've got irrigation, you know, where there's water. Hmm. But uh, we've only had like uh, an inch 95 in July down here and 20 hundreds a month of August. And so, you know, we're extremely dry. Sure. And uh, going that way. And I was just, just was wondering if, if, it's, if it's more frequent with extreme dry weather like we're having now than if not. Yeah, and no, I, I, I don't believe that it is, and I've never heard where, oh, irrigated, now we don't have the problem. Non-irrigated, we do have the problem. So it, it, are they different? Is it, by chance, different varieties or anything? No, I have, I, I thought the first uh, between the extend beans and and the, the other, you know, the 2,4-D height, but there's, they're in everything in that. So. Yeah. Nope. And nothing I can see on full season. Uh, we plant a lot of four twos and four fours here. Plant them early, you know, for the longer stage and stuff like that. And it's just not. Uh, it, it doesn't bother. I checked some fields that were three fives, you know, and sure. things like that. It, it's just in everywhere. Yeah. In that. So. Uh, yep. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. It's been a trying year in that. So. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, definitely. Well, let's be thankful for the irrigation. Just imagine if there was no irrigation down there, how awful things would be. But that we're running out of water. Yeah. <laughs> I'm running the river right now without the in-gun on, you know, and it's just, it, yep. 
I've never seen it here like this, Brian. It, it, it's just pretty bad. So. Mm. Well, but one thing we're picking for now, and it's uh, doing oh. 180 to 110, where last year it was 150 to 170, you know, so that gives sure. you some ballpark. Yeah, yep, yep. So, yeah, we've been hearing a lot of crop reports out there that things are pretty tough. And, uh, I mean, there are some areas that are even a lot worse than that. But, yeah, Dennis, oh, we'll, yeah, certainly, yeah. we'll certainly wish the best for you on that. So my sister Janelle's running running the controls for me today, and she just sent me a note saying uh, that maybe you might want to, you'd be willing possibly to talk about how you helped a young farmer get started. So I, I, I was just curious about that, Dennis. Yeah. Oh, well, this was, uh, we lost your son 26 years ago. Oh, sorry to hear that. And so then uh, about 15 years ago, my wife and I decided to uh, see what we could do to bring the young guy in. So sure. we went to the community college at Beatrice and uh, a, a teacher that I knew real well, he's in seed business, he's teaching uh, Jeff Jensby. Mm-hmm. And I told him I'd like to get a young man that had, uh, wouldn't have an opportunity to farm, but that's all he wanted to do. He had dirt in his eyes and all that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and help him get started. So yep. it took us about two years to get the right, the right fit, but it's just been a blessing for both of us. And that's so. Yeah, well, that's awesome. I, I mean, thanks for what you're doing out there. I, I mean, that's really what it takes in a lot of cases is just one, oh, yeah. one yeah. generation helping the next generation, uh, it, you know, not just with all the wisdom, but sometimes the financial side too really makes a difference because it's hard well, for anybody to start farming nowadays. I decided I run another business and then I, with all my farming, we farmed a lot of acres and I decided in 14, I was about burned out in the spring. So sure. I, I told him, I says, I'm ready to quit the farming side if you can get the uh, financing. Yep. And this is probably the biggest problem for these young people in agriculture getting the financing. Yeah. And that they, they, you know, uh, it, it, it takes so much money now to, to put in a crop. And, yep. that. And, and we're talking a lot of acres. He right now is presently farming, uh, 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 3,800 acres of corn and beans and runs about 170 cows, you know, and all that. So he's very busy Yeah. and that, but he's a hard worker and, and it's, it's working. It's working with everything. And very, he's on top of the, the technology, you know, sure. <laughs> I, yeah, he's done a very good job. Yep. Well, Dennis, that is a fantastic story. I, I guess I just want to applaud you for that. And again, like I said earlier, hopefully you'll uh, start getting some rain down there and, and things will turn out maybe a little bit better. And if nothing else, I guess hopefully things will look up going into next year. Well, the biggest problem this year, we didn't have our profile full when we started. Yep. Last year we had it full and it got yep. dry later on, so, but we could pull it through. But this year, it just, uh, it just, don't, I don't know when it's ever going to start right <laughs> now. you don't want to say that because about as soon as we say that, then all of a sudden we're dealing with flood shortly after. I, I keep telling people about well, like, 20, 2012 and 2013, we had two of the driest years ever. I mean, if you look at back to back, right in our area, uh-huh. that, that, would rival the 30s or any time in 2012 and 2013. And we our water table is at the lowest point in 30 years on June 1, 2014. And all of a sudden, we got 20 inches of rain in three weeks and everything was flooded. So <laughs> you just well, don't know. Running, this weather is running in a cycle. I'm a firm believer now in Taylor. Yep. And he talked about this 30, 40 years ago. Yep. And we're in another, probably another cycle here, maybe two, three years. I don't know. Yep. It's just you never know what to do. The good Lord's going to provide for us. That, no, so. that's about right. Hey, Dennis, been nice talking to you today. Thanks a lot for calling in. Appreciate it. You bet.
Thank you, Brian. You bet. All right, we're going to get back to the Ag PhD mailbag here. Rex asked a question. He said, I'm curious about what weed pre-emerge herbicides could be used for winter cereal rye planted in the fall after soybean harvest and also for oats planted in the spring. I'm going to follow the rye or oats with soybeans in late spring. I see that sharpen may work for the broadleaves in both crops, and I see that prepare is labeled for wheat. I'm wanting to have the field stay clean come early spring. Any suggestions? Yeah, sharpen is the one that I will usually talk to two people about, Rex. Both the rye and the oats, and it can be used in wheat as well. So we just unfortunately don't have as many herbicide options for oats and rye as we do for corn and soybeans, and for that matter, even wheat. But there are a few products out there. But yeah, in rye, sharpens the way to go for broadleaves. That's going to do a phenomenal job for you. I'd put a couple ounces out there. Now, in oats, I would say the same thing, but you could also, if you wanted to, switch over to Callisto or add in Callisto. And that's very inexpensive. I mean, you might be talking three bucks an acre or something like that. So I'll, I'll tell you what, if you did a combination of Sharpen and Callisto, you're not going to have a lot of weeds coming later on. But the concern here is if you say, all right, I want to plant oats and then I want to follow with soybeans, well, that's where you'd have to stay with the Sharpen rather than going to the Callisto because any HPPD is going to ding up the beans unless those beans are, uh, let's say, LLGT27 that would be tolerant. All right, we'll get to more of your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag coming up right after this. Stay tuned. In a world of Veltima fungicide. Hey, let's do it less dramatic. Just say Veltima fungicide. Okay, Veltima fungicide. No, that's literally the same. Veltima fungicide. Still doing it. Veltima fungicide does it. Seriously, we just need you to say Veltima fungicide. Swift, simple, and secure. Didn't I? Veltima fungicide from BASF in cornfields this summer. Always read and follow label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. What if your herbicide was easy to mix and tougher weeds to resist? Anthem Flex Herbicide from FMC offers the most effective mode of action for spring and winter wheat, delivering long-lasting control of grasses and broadleaf weeds, including Italian ryegrass, rat-tail fescue, and downy brome, plus weeds typically resistant to glyphosate and Group 1 and Group 2 herbicides. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zeopro Miticide from Valent USA. With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zeopro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zeopro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. 
Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Back to the Ag PhD Mailbag. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. If you've got a question, just send it to us, radio at agphd.com. This one is from Montana, from Marco. He says, I planted three alfalfa fields this year. Two are Roundup Ready. One is conventional. We planted in early May, and the flush of kochia, lamb's quarters, and fanweed were manageable with Roundup, but not conventional. The conventional germinated, the seed germinated great. It was about two to three inches tall when the weeds started. Well, we tried bromoxenil, or buctrel, with no help controlling any weeds. We cut the field when the kochia was about 12 inches tall. My experience told me that the alfalfa would be under the kochia, but it wasn't. Now I've got many open spaces between alfalfa plants. It's late summer and the kochia is shorter, but still there. Anything that I can do next year, including reseeding and herbicides to limit weeds, or will I just have to bite the bullet and plant a Roundup Ready variety? Okay, so Marco, we seeded about 500 acres of alfalfa on our farm this year, all conventional, and we just used Eptam. That's the the product to use. Four and a half pints. Now, you have to till it in immediately because it will evaporate on you, but it is phenomenal. Had a neighbor, didn't use some right next to ours, and I couldn't even tell they had an alfalfa field out there. I'm sure it's the same thing that you were dealing with. They tried to spray products like Buckdrill, but... I mean, it's just, it's tough. We just don't have many good options post-emerge in Roundup Ready, or I should say, unless it's Roundup Ready, in, in that conventional alfalfa, all you can do is buctrel, a tiny little rate of butyrac, so just an ounce or two that you could throw with the buctrel, and then the only other product you've got is Raptor or Pursuit. I mean, either way, it's an ALS. It's not going to kill your resistant kochia. So, I mean, Buctrel is not horrible on kochia, but it's also not good on kochia. So, yeah, I'm starting with Eptam. That, that's absolutely the way to go. And here, here's the concern that I have. You say, well, I'll just plant Roundup Ready. Well, in your area, you may not have Roundup-resistant kochia yet, but it's out there in Montana, and it's all over the Dakotas. So sooner or later, you're going to be dealing with Roundup-resistant kochia, and then, I mean, there's there's really nothing that you can do. Now, I would say, and this is a terrible, uh, it, hopefully it never comes to this, but some people would use a weed wick. They let the kochia get tall, and then they go wick it with uh, dicamba or 2,4-D or something like that. But, I mean, the thing is, if the weeds are getting that big, it's really hurt your stand. So, you know, I don't know how bad it is, but all I know is when you say I got a lot of open spaces between alfalfa plants, that 
that's two problems. Number one, you're not going to get the tonnage. And number two, you're just going to continue having the weeds because there's not enough alfalfa there to choke everything out. Whereas when you put the Eptam down, now the alfalfa gets a great start and you get ahead of it. So that's really the whole key in alfalfa, at least in my experience. And then obviously you want to have good fertility and everything else. But I, I mean, if it's me, I'm probably going to, if I've got a stand that looks really bad and I know alfalfa is expensive to seed, but I would, I would give serious consideration to reseeding. And I'm sure you are well aware of the fact that with alfalfa, it has a lot of allelopathy. So it puts a chemical into the soil that prevents future alfalfa from growing. So you have to terminate the stand early in the fall if you want to seed again next spring. Otherwise, you got to go to another crop for another year. So anyway, we certainly feel for you there, Marco. We've seen those kind of issues in the past. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, moving forward, it's Eptam Pre, and then I would at least consider planting some Roundup Ready. Uh, but you know, if you would have had that pre out there, I think you would be in pretty good shape. Okay, next one is from Dennis in Idaho. He says, I got a couple questions about triticale in the fall. First off, does it work to no-till into sod? Um, Dennis, you can do it, but you got to get good seed to soil contact and you've got to make sure that those weeds are under control first. Uh, anyway, he, uh, continuing on here, he says, we've heavily grazed to remove as much grass as possible, but what would be the best course of action for weed spray? We've already applied Roundup. Um, so my opinion is I would say, I don't know what rate of Roundup you did, but I normally I'm going to tell somebody in sod, you got to go with the highest labeled rate of Roundup. It takes a lot to kill those perennials and you have to have them under control if you're going to go out there and seed some triticale in without any kind of tillage or anything like that. A lot of people do tillage just to even level the ground off it if it is sod. But anyway, he says here, we'll be going back to orchard and timothy grass next spring. He also says, I got a question on broadleaf control when seeding a new grass field. Is there a good option that has residual control and won't, won't hurt the grass seed, seedlings? Um, there aren't a lot of options. So there is Sharpen. We talked about this a little bit earlier with oats and rye and stuff like that. So that would be something I would look into to make sure that that's okay. But I, I think that, I mean, for whatever grass you're raising, but I think that should be fine. Otherwise, a lot of times people will talk about dormant applications, things like pendimethalin, that's Prowl, that is going to do a halfway decent job on the broadleaves, but a real good job on the annual grasses. So, But again, that's, that's after you've gotten that grass established. All right, we're going to jump back to the phone lines. Got Jared calling in. Uh, hey, Jared, how are things going for you today? Hey, great. Great. I'm out here in southwest Nebraska. Yeah. Um, and uh, you, you want to talk about the alfalfa just a little? Yeah, I don't have any alfalfa right now, but four or five years ago, we had a terrible time with uh, kochia and uh, pigweeds, or is yes. probably Palmer at the time. But yep. there is a product I use that was called 2,4-D. B is a boy. I think the B is butyl, and that worked awesome on those broadleaves and alfalfa. Yeah, I had mentioned that when I was talking about the products you could use. Buterac is 2,4-DB. So sorry, I probably oh, should okay, have clar I probably should have clarified that. Our concern gets to be if you use very much, it really dings up the alfalfa. Of course, like yeah. uh, for for Marco who had that issue with its solid kochia and he couldn't even see the alfalfa below the kochia, uh, you might as well <laughs> just spray a whole bunch of the Buterac out there because chances are not, not a lot's going to end up hitting the alfalfa. And Marco, sorry to make light of your 
your issue. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you, Jared. It can do a good job. My concern is just crop safety. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't know the exact product name. Oh yeah, no problem. I just wanted to call in, so thank you, you very much. You bet. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, one of our challenges always here on the show is just if you know a product by a certain name and I know it by another name. Now, I, I mean, we often do say Buterac or 24DB, but I just failed to do that. Uh, the, the other challenge we run into is people all the time will say, well, how do I kill this weed? And I go, I've never heard of that weed. But it's that's what they call it in some other state or some other country. And I go, oh, okay, now I know what uh, what weed it is. I just have to look that up sometimes. All right, next question. Uh, speaking of other countries, this one is Andy from up in Ontario, Canada. He says, hey, guys, are any of your winter workshops planned yet? I can't seem to find anything on your website. Andy, we... We had been talking about dates and actually had been talking about them for quite a while. We, I think, now have them finalized. We're going to be posting them on our website just shortly here. But, yeah, we're going to be doing a few Ag PhD winter workshops at our Ag PhD field day site. We've got the Morton Center there. We can hold about 1,000 farmers in the Morton Center. And so we we will put on a few winter clinics again. I know we're going to do soils, naturals, corns, soybeans, uh, wheat and tiling, and then also Neil Kinsey is going to be in for three days again toward the end of February. So yeah, we'll have that stuff posted here on our website just shortly. All right, next one is from Richard, and we were talking about Creeping Charlie, and he says, guys, you're right on. Different weeds would take different ammo. 2,4-D would be the standard weapon in your sprayer, but upgrades would include quinclorax, sedgehammer, etc. Glyphosate would be the ultimate power upgrade weapon in this fight. Uh, is oxystrobin and propiconazole for the fungus. Start out with a two-gallon pump sprayer and keep building your arsenal. The lawn community deserves this game. So, Richard, good suggestion. We need more ag games out there, especially get the kids playing and uh, figure out maybe how to control some of these weeds and stuff. That'd be fantastic. All right, next question is Chet from Chet out in Montana. He says, guys, I'm sending you a picture here of some soybeans. Do you have any idea of what disease I'm dealing with? Um, this is actually from western North Dakota, this field is, and it's under irrigation. Uh, Chet, it's hard to tell for sure, but it looks like you're probably dealing with Phytophthora there. So a lot of times we'll see that when our, our plant has gotten under, well, first of all, we can see Phytophthora anywhere, but we're looking for variety tolerance or resistance, number one. Number two, good seed treatments. But then, in addition, we talk often about soil fertility and just making sure that that plant is as healthy as possible because late in the season, if it's not, then it's it's still pretty subject to getting diseases like that. So that's my guess, but I'd send, send some plants in to a pathologist just to make absolutely sure. All right, before we go, just want to say thanks to my sister Janelle. She was running the show for me again today. And thanks to all our guests and those who wrote in or called in with questions. We appreciate you. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.